Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Overcoming Fear by Pastor Sean Wood. This morning, um, Mother's Day, we're going to come to our second instalment of our Overcoming series. And today we look at Overcoming Failure. Before we do that, I just wonder if we can have a moment's prayer before we open the Lord's Word. Father, your word says in Ezekiel that as you spoke to Ezekiel, the Spirit entered him. All right, that's my prayer this morning. My prayer this morning is that your word would speak to us, Father. My prayer this morning is that wherever anybody is this morning right now, that there would be a greater awareness of the presence and that your word would infiltrate not only our ears, but our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take this word and that it, you would plant it into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. This morning we're going to talk about overcoming failure. Uh, one of my heroes, who we'll talk about in a little bit more depth in a moment from the last century, one of my heroes is Sir Winston Churchill. Now, we're going to talk about him in a moment because he was a guy that knew how to fail up. <laughs> and I'll, I'll expose that in a moment. But uh, one of his quotes, which I find to be enormously challenging, is uh, that... Winston Churchill said that success is moving from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. I thought that was interesting. Of course, if you study the life of Winston Churchill, you'll understand what he means by that, by the way. But uh, it's interesting. I want to, today I want to challenge everybody uh, what you define as being failure. We're going to challenge that. I also want to ask everybody a question before we go any further. I, I want to ask you, what is success for you? It's enormously important that we, that we answer this question. We're going to bring this to the forefront in a moment, but I want to ask you what success is for you today. It's interesting how we all measure success. It's interesting how churches measure success. It's interesting how the world might measure success. But, you know, this morning as we begin our journey, I want to introduce you to you some, some challenging thoughts. Most of you would have heard of James Dyson or the Dyson Vacuum Cleaner country, Company. Sorry. What you may not know is that James Dyson actually had 5,126 failed prototypes of his vacuum cleaner before he finally made one that worked and uh, invented the bagless vacuum cleaner. He's, he's now worth $4.5 billion. <laughs> Dyson's a household name. It doesn't make just vacuum cleaners now, of course, but uh, a lot of other stuff like fans and so forth. But it's a little bit like uh, Vincent van Gogh. Most of us here would know about Vincent van Gogh. Kate Farrant would, would certainly know about Vincent van Gogh. Vincent van Gogh is one of the most uh, famous artists uh, of history. But uh, right now, if you were to purchase a Vincent van Gogh painting, it would cost you probably in excess of $100 million dollars. They're worth a small fortune, highly coveted and prized paintings. Here's some things you may not know. Vincent van Gogh, while he was alive, could not get rid of his paintings. Vincent van Gogh, while he was alive, sold, in, in the entire expanse of his lifetime, he sold just one painting. <laughs> Today, however, his paintings are worth millions of dollars. What about Thomas Edison? Thomas Edison was told that he was too stupid to learn anything. <laughs> We've all heard of Thomas Edison. He's, he's responsible for some of the most famous inventions of the last century. But, but what you may not know is that he was told he was too stupid to learn anything. He was considered to be a failure. 
He was considered to be unteachable. He would go on to hold 1,000 patents. And what about the man I just mentioned, Sir Winston Churchill? Sir Winston Churchill was an MP in the year 1900. Had a long political career and uh, he, (laughs) interesting guy, but he's a guy that when you look at the length and the breadth of his life, he's a guy that changed political parties twice. He he went from where he was to to left wing and back. And he, he, he was a guy who was always on the wrong side of policy. He was considered to be controversial. He was considered to be impulsive. He was considered to be arrogant. And so Winston Churchill, he wasn't much of a people person. Uh, he was known to drink a lot. And, and one of his famous quotes is, is when he was giving a speech, of course, and there was a lady in the audience that said, you know what, you're nothing but a raving drunk. <laughs> and Churchill replied to her. He said, yes, but in the morning when I wake up, I'll be sober, but you'll still be ugly. <laughs> Fancy that. Winston Churchill was, uh, for all of his mistakes and for all of his failures, uh, he would he would actually be one of the greatest leaders of the last century. He led Britain through the Second World War. He was the one that first began to raise the flag and said, there's something smells about this guy. And, and when every other politician in England, please hold this, the, the major consensus of all the politicians in England at the time was, let's do whatever we can to appease Hitler, let's do whatever we can just to satisfy him. Let's, let's, let's enter into an agreement here. Churchill was the only one that stood up and said, no, we're going to lob the proverbial bird. And he was the one that told Hitler, we'll fight you wherever we have to. And if we die, we die, but we're never going to stop fighting you. And of course, the rest is history. Uh, World War II saw the demise of Hitler and the, and the Nazi regime. And, and right when that finished in 1945, Sir Winston Churchill led England through all the turmoils of World War II. He, he was a man that made many mistakes and many failures, but then he was voted out in 1945. How, how's that for thank you? We love you, Winston. You're out. But that doesn't stop Sir Winston Churchill. Sir Winston Churchill said that, uh, I want to read you this famous quote that, that he said when he was voted out. He says, uh, he says uh, success is never found. Failure is not fatal. Uh, if you're writing things down, write that one down. Success is never found, he said, and, and failure is never fatal. What matters, courage is the only thing that matters. It's interesting. What an interesting perspective. And of course, for those who know the history of England and, and Winston Churchill, he was once again voted Prime Minister in 1951 and held office until 1955. And a man I appreciate. A man who isn't the most spiritual man of the last century, but also not the most unspiritual. I've just introduce you to a selection of gentlemen who uh, in their lifetime knew tremendous failure or were considered to be tremendous failures. But actually... They knew the greatest successes. And, you know, research tells us, and go do the research for yourself, that some of the most successful people on the planet are those who have had tremendous failings. Um, Some people here may have heard of Wizard Home Loans or heard of Mark Boris. Mark Boris is the founder of Wizard Home Loans. But what you may not know about Wizard Home Loans is that one of the key investors in the beginning was uh, Kerry Packer. 
And in a documentary on Kerry Packer's life, Mark Boris recounts the time when he goes to meet Kerry for the, the, this business proposal. He's in a meeting with Kerry. He walks in and, and uh, uh, when he walks in, uh, Kerry Packer doesn't talk, doesn't talk any numbers. He, doesn't, uh, he turns to Boris and says, have you ever been bankrupt? Boris says, well, actually, Kerry, I've, yeah, I've been bankrupt twice. And Packer immediately turns, he says, I'm in. He says, I've read the proposal. He says, I've crunched the numbers. And he says, I'm in. He says, but I don't want to be in business with anybody who hasn't failed. Isn't that interesting? Today, I want to introduce you to four guys throughout Scripture who kind of failed. Some of them pretty bad. One of the guys you probably haven't heard a whole lot about, and we'll get to him later on. But I also want to introduce you to these four guys because what we can glean from their life in Scripture is how they overcame failure. These guys overcame failure. They, they knew great mistakes, but they overcame failure. First, first guy I want to introduce you to today is, is Elijah. Now, you can read this account for yourself, and if you want to, you can pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 18. Of course, I'm talking about the confrontation on Mount Carmel. Now, uh, let's do a little bit of context here with Elijah. For those who know of Elijah, you will know that he saw some great miracles in his life. You will know that he lived uh, and prophesied during the time of King Ahab, a very evil king in Israel's history. But Elijah, uh, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he saw the, the oil jars that never ran out. He was fed by the ravens, all, the, all those kinds of things. But he's well known for the confrontation at Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Now, what's going on here? I love in chapter 18, we read in the middle of the confrontation, uh, Elijah says, why do you keep limping between two opinions? If, if God is God, then serve him. And, uh, and so he, he challenges. He, he comes to Ahab and he says, you know what? You get all your prophets of Baal and get all the people of Israel and assemble them here at the mountain. We'll have a, we'll have a showdown. And immediately we begin to see that Elijah has some enormous expectations of what's going to take place. And uh, King Ahab, who, who absolutely despises Elijah, he, he's there with all the prophets of Baal and, and all the people of Israel. We know the story, right? Uh, uh, Elijah says, you know, we're going to take two bulls and, and we'll both put bulls on an altar and, and, and whichever God sends fire down and consumes the sacrifice, then then that's the real God. And of course, very politely, Elijah says, you guys go first. And we know the prophets of Baal, they prepare their altar, they prepare the animal, they put it on and, and they do this dancing and this hollering and this praying and, and they begin cutting themselves and to no avail. And Elijah taunts them. Maybe, maybe Baal is relieving himself. Maybe, maybe he's gone somewhere. And of course, we know the rest of the story where Elijah prepares his altar and he puts the animal up in the altar. He says, you know what, let's, let's make this interesting. And he gets some buckets of water and he just drowns the whole altar and, and there's a big pool of water around. And we know that God miraculously and gloriously and powerfully sends fire down, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the entire altar and licks the water up dry. But what we see after that with Elijah is we begin to see Elijah had some enormous expectations here. 
He was expecting that there would be a showdown and there was. And he was expecting that God would turn up in power and he did. And, and he, would, he was expecting that God would glorify his name and he did. And the prophets of Baal, but, but we, when you scratch beneath the surface, we see Elijah was expecting that King Ahab would, would completely repent. He was expecting great revival amongst the people of Israel. Now, now they do get down in declare that God is glorious, but it's only for a moment. And what happens in chapter 19, as as we're going through this account here, what happens in chapter 19 is uh, Jezebel learns that the prophets of Baal have been slaughtered and she determines that, that she's going to kill Elijah. And Elijah, if we come to chapter 19, verse 4, listen to what he says. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. I've done no better. I've, I've brought no better reform than my father's. Elijah thinks that he has failed. But when we look at this account, has he really failed? He did what God asked him to do. And friends, I want to challenge everybody here today. Step one in overcoming failure is get another definition for failure. The reason I'm asking people to define what success looks like for you is because failure is defined as being a lack of success. The dictionary tells us that failure is defined as as, as being a lack of success. The Bible, when it references failure, mostly speaks about, uses the word fall. And a fall doesn't have to be permanent. And a fall doesn't have to be detrimental to you necessarily. But I want to challenge you today. Number one, overcoming failure looks like get a new definition for failure. You see, Elijah thinks he's failed because he has in his mind what he thinks should take place. How many of us are like Elijah? How many, come on, how how many of us this morning as we're listening to these words are a lot like Elijah? How many of us have expectations of what is going to take place? How many of us have an idea of what it is that is going to, if I do this, this, this and this, I'm expecting these results. And so we think we've failed or we think we're a failure because we don't get the results we expect. But, but Elijah, you did what God asked you to do and you've, you've glorified the name of God. And what's success for you, Elijah? And we see this in many demographics of life. It's interesting, isn't it, how, you know, businesses are designed to make a profit, but we measure success sometimes. Uh, You're successful in business often when you've made millions. The Bible teaches us that there's different definitions for success. For those that read the pastor's comments this morning, we, we touched on the subject of what really matters. What really matters for you here, Elijah? You want to get all these certain results. And you see, Elijah has a, 
he needed some perspective because the rest of chapter 19 tells us that he goes to a cave to hear the voice of God and, and he hears the still small voice of God. What does God say to him? He says to God, he says, God, he says, I'm the only one left. Everybody's off worshipping Baal and I'm the only prophet left and now they want to kill me and, and nobody's serving you. And God says, hang on a second. Let me give you a little bit of perspective, Elijah. I've got 7,000 people here that haven't bowed the knee to me. You're not the only one. You don't see everything, Elijah. You have some ill-directed expectations. Isn't that the same for us? We, we, now, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that you should lower your standards. I'm not saying that you should lower your goals. I'm not saying that you should do anything like that. I'm just saying you, should, you need to define what success is so that you can define what failure is. Failure is a lack of success. Success is achieving our aims and purposes. What are your aims and what are your purposes? Number one, Elijah teaches us to get a new definition of failure. Second man I want to talk to you about today is a guy by the name of King David. We all know King David, don't we? We, uh, When we hear the story of King David, we we know about David and Goliath and David and Saul, but let me give you a brief overview of David's life. David is a little shepherd boy, uh, the youngest of many brothers, very capable brothers, so we find out. And, and David is anointed king of Israel at the age of 15. And we know that when he is anointed king, there's already a king on the throne. We know that the king Saul seeks to kill him and he knows many challenges and so forth. And then at the age of 30, uh, David finally takes the throne. And for some period of time, uh, Israel doesn't recognise him as king. So, But he finally takes the throne. Israel does recognise him as king. He becomes one of the greatest, most successful leaders and kings that, of Israel's history. If we were making the tombstone for David, what we would write on his tombstone to sum up his life is this, a man after God's own heart. What a great testimony. Very successful guy, very successful king, served God, had a great relationship with God, but he also knew many failings and mistakes. One of the most horrendous ones we know about was with Bathsheba. Now, uh, Bathsheba catches David's eye and he, he seeks her out. He has an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. He tries to cover it up. And of course, he's unable to do so. Then, of course, he sends her husband to the front line to have him deliberately killed so that he can take Bathsheba for himself. This is the king of Israel. This is God's man. Who knows he's failed right now? Who knows he's made a mistake right now? We need to accept that failure is actually a part of our lives, but... As we look at Elijah, as we look at David, as we look at some other guys, and, and as we even look at our own lives, I want you to be aware of something. Both you and God are writing a very glorious story. It's the story of your life. What I want to challenge you with today is that, as we move to David, is that we need to understand that our lives, just like every book, are sectioned into chapters. And I want to challenge you that failures in your life can be chapters in your life, not the end. 
For too many people, our failings become the end. They define us forever. We're going to touch on a couple of guys in a moment that that's true for. We're going to touch on some people that you might know. But uh, David, we know, uh, sends Uriah in. Now, there's actually, if you read the Psalms, there's a few Psalms that are written in this time. But, but we know that there's a period of about 12 months between what happens with Uriah and David being exposed. But David does get exposed. Uh, the prophet Nathan comes to David and tells him a story about a guy who has all these many lambs and one guy who has one lamb that he keeps and cherishes. And, and the guy who has many lambs just romps on in and, and, and kills the guy, takes the And then Nathan says to David, what would you do to that guy? David says, he must die. Nathan says in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are that man. David is exposed. His failure is exposed. And now we come, David does something enormously important that, that we all must get If you want to overcome failure, you have to do what David does now. If you read down the rest of chapter 12, you will come to verse 13. And it says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, I want to tell you, when Israel learned about this, they wanted to lynch David. They they wanted to lynch him. They wanted to, you know, but the response of David when calamity comes to his life is he runs to the temple. Runs to the temple. But what David does here with that one sentence is his failure is exposed, his mistakes are exposed, his sin is exposed. We don't hear any excuses. Yeah, preach it, Pastor. Yeah, I, I can hear everybody. Now, we, we live in a society today that tries to avoid doing what David does. David takes responsibility. David fesses up and he takes responsibility and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Not they made me do it, not she made me do it, not how can you pin this on me? Uriah was just killed in battle. He says, no, I am exposed and I take responsibility. The term responsibility means that you get to choose your response. That's what it means to take responsibility. David chose his response. His response is, I'm going to take responsibility. It's nobody else's fault. I did this. When you take responsibility, when you, when you, when you are responsible for your failings, you're able to remove the you from failure. You see, We all fail, that doesn't mean we are failures. You see, David committed adultery and kind of committed murder, but he's not an adulterous murderer. That's not what defined David. He made those mistakes. No, no, no. He's the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. We have Psalms 51 as a repentant psalm. David comes before God and says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. I've sinned against you. I'm taking responsibility. I'm not running away from this. Next guy we talk about is a guy that ran away. We'll we'll talk about him in a moment. Two guys from the old, two guys from the new. Step number one in overcoming failure is you need to get a definition, a new definition for failure. You need to ask yourself the question, what is success? But, But number two is you need to take responsibility for your failures. 
Let me try and put some context around this. I want to take three guys that did not do what David did. And let's have a look at what the result was. They chose a different response to their failures. Let's have a look at what some guys that we would all know. Uh, if I say the word President Richard Nixon to you, what are you thinking immediately? Anybody that knows President Nixon immediately will think of the Watergate affair. They will think about the lies. They will think about the conspiracies. They will be thinking about the cover-ups. What are you doing? Uh, uh, what has happened with President Richard Nixon? What has happened is his failures have defined him. He chose his response. And his response was to lie. His response was to cover up. He never took responsibility. He never fessed up and dealt with it. And now when you think of President Richard Nixon, it doesn't matter what he did while he was in office. All you can think about is his monumental failures. He never moved on from that. It took him out of the presidency. What, if I, what about another president? <clears throat> what about President Bill Clinton? <laughs> now, I can tell you now, President Bill Clinton, at one point in time, had the highest price tag for public speaking on the globe. Very highly sought after. Something like $100,000 to, to have him come and publicly speak. He, he did some great things while he was president. But he has been defined by his personal failures. We, whenever we think of Bill Clinton, we think of Monica Lewinsky. I want to introduce you to one that I've had a, I've looked at a lot of documentaries about this guy and I'm intrigued and everybody here will know this name when I say it, it's Lance Armstrong. Now, we all know that Lance Armstrong was a cyclist and, but when we, when I mention the word Lance Armstrong, everybody thinks of his monumental failures. You know, how, for how long he covered up, for how long he lied, he, you know, the character assassinations on those that, he would, that, that would question him and how, how he is now defined by his failure when he was exposed because he never took responsibility for what he did. Uh, we don't know, or, or well, we do if we do a little bit of research, but most of us off the cuff don't know that he was actually diagnosed. He was, he was a cyclist who became diagnosed with stage three testicular cancer. By the time they diagnosed his cancer, he had, it had spread to his lungs and he had lesions on the brain. The percentages of him even surviving the treatment uh, were very low, but not only does he survive and recover, two years after he does so, he wins his first Tour de France. He goes on to win seven yellow jerseys. He goes on to win the Tour de France seven times. He's since been stripped of that. He was not only, his biggest failure wasn't necessarily doping. It was lying, covering up and failing to take responsibility for his actions. Even when he was exposed at the beginning of being exposed, he was trying to point the finger at everybody else. And I didn't do that. And he has since taken some ownership. But see what happens depending on how you choose your response. You need to change your response to failure by taking responsibility. When you take responsibility, you're able to deal with it, overcome the failure and move on. 
David teaches us that taking responsibility allows us the power to choose what happens. This happens in Christian circles as well. We will know of many, we will know of many uh, famous, uh, you know, the Jimmy Swaggarts and Jimmy Baker kind of guys that made some monumental mistakes. Took a long time for them to take responsibility. I know ministers right now, and I pray that some of them are listening to this, but I know ministers now, and it's, it's disappointing for me that we consider a, a one failure and you're out of ministry. But let me tell you this, if, if, if you've been in ministry on any scale or leadership in the church and you've made a mistake and you've failed, there must be a path to restoration, but that path must include this part of taking responsibility, of standing before your peers, of standing before the church, owning what you did, take responsibility and move on. Till that happens, you can't move on. You will stay there. I have, the sad thing is, I, so often I have friends and I have I have Christian brothers and people that I talk to and we talk about the same failings over and over. People go round and round and round and round and the way to get over that is to take responsibility, realise that you are the one that chooses your response, deal with it and move on. If you've wronged somebody, you need to take responsibility and apologise, rectify. Third guy I want to talk to you about today. So number two was change your response to failure by taking responsibility. Third guy I want to talk to you today is a guy that you may not know much about. He's a guy from the New Testament by the name of John Mark. Now, now John Mark, you can read about in Acts chapters 12, 13, 14 and 15, around that part there. Now, uh, there's another verse that includes John Mark that we're going to touch on in a moment. But John Mark, uh, interesting guy. We, this is what we do know about John Mark. We don't know a whole lot. But John Mark is on Paul's first missionary trip with Barnabas. John Mark is the, the guy who owns the house that Peter goes to after he's let out of jail in Acts chapter 12. He's a pretty prominent kind of guy in Jerusalem. He's the cousin of Barnabas, who was uh, a really good friend of Paul. And now Paul, Barnabas and John Mark go on their first missionary journey around Asia. Here's what we do know that happens. We know that they go from place to place, but they go to a place called Cyprus. Now in Cyprus, we do know that they face an enormous amount of demonic resistance when they get there, really powerful stuff. And they, they also, are, it's a long enduring fruitless work in Cyprus that yields just one convert. Very discouraging, very hard, very tough. And what we do know about John Mark is he leaves Paul and Barnabas and he runs back to Jerusalem. He abandons them. He fails. He goes with Paul and Barnabas and when the going gets tough, we do know that John Mark got going. We're not told many of the circumstances that all surround it, but we are told that it definitely leaves a sour taste in Paul's mouth. Let's move on a little bit further to the second missionary journey. And now Paul and Barnabas are are, are ready to set off. And Barnabas wants to take John Mark. 
And Paul basically says, I don't want to take anybody with me who abandoned me. This guy cut out, this guy jumped out, this guy ran away, he flaked it, he's flaky. I don't want to take him with me. I don't want anything to do with him in the ministry. And it causes such a dispute between Barnabas and Paul that Barnabas and John Mark go one direction, Paul and Silas go another direction. John Mark failed. But John Mark teaches us something very, very profound because what we do learn about John Mark is, uh, you know, number three in overcoming failure is you need to learn from your failures. Let me read you a scripture from 2 Timothy. This is Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. 2 Timothy is probably around about the last letter Paul writes before he's beheaded. He's in jail when he writes it. And he writes to Timothy towards the end of his life and towards the end of his ministry. Listen to what he says in, in, in verse 9 of chapter 4 to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon, he says to Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians to, has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. That's Luke that writes the gospel in Acts. Luke alone is with me. Listen to this. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in the ministry. John Mark learned from his failures. John Mark learned from his mistakes. John Mark ran away once. John Mark flaked under pressure once. John Mark learned a very important lesson that we all need to learn if we're going to overcome failure. The lesson is this. You may not be able to change your circumstances, but you can change yourself. You see, nothing changed for John Mark. He could go on as many missionary trips as he likes. He's still going to face resistance. He's still going to face opposition. He's still going to face hard times. Same as every single one of us. It's still going to be hard. You may not be able to change your circumstances, but you have a choice whether you will change yourself, whether you will learn from your failures and change your response, change what you do. Obviously, John Mark changed what he does because Paul goes from having an enormous sour taste in his mouth to go and get Mark because he's useful to me in the ministry. Yes, this is an enormous softening in Paul's heart, but it's also a lesson that all of us can learn. You might fail, but that's not the end of your story. You might make mistakes. It might get too much and you might run away. You can't run away forever. Read Jonah. If you're running away from God, if you're running away from past mistakes, if you're running away from past failures, it's people in this room, it's people listening to me right now that need to hear this. Because the enemy wants to keep you in Jerusalem. That's where John Mark went. The enemy wants to keep you in Jerusalem. The enemy wants to keep you at the point of failure. The, the enemy wants to keep you wallowing in the mud. John Mark teaches us, you may slip, you may fall. What does Proverbs tell us? Though a righteous man falls seven times, he will arise. But when calamity comes on the unrighteous, he will be destroyed. You have a choice to rise. You have a choice to learn from it 
and rise and move on. Overcoming failure, number three, is learn from your failings. How do we learn from them? We, we learn where we went wrong. We learned where we let boundaries down. <laughs> uh, just recently, I read of a, a, a teaching pastor in America, tragically taken at 50 years of age. I learned something. When I, when I was reading his story, I was intrigued. The circumstances surrounding his death are irrelevant. And he, he'd known some pressures in ministry. He was a guy that, early on in ministry, relaxed boundaries far too far. Made some really big mistakes and failed monumentally. Here's what he did. Here's a great example for us. Here's what he did. First thing he does is he he takes responsibility for his failings and he goes to the people that he's hurt and he sits across the table from them and he eyeballs them and he says, I've hurt you. And, I, and, and he apologises and he tries to make amends and so forth. Second thing he does is he takes responsibility and he, he stands before the church and says, this is what's happened. And it, it takes responsibility before the church. But here's the number one thing that we can see that he did. He learned from his mistakes and he erected boundaries in his life that he never relaxed again. He learnt from his mistakes. He learnt from his failings. If we, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Is that what it says? If we don't learn from our mistakes, if we don't reflect on where we went wrong. Number three, learn from your mistakes. Now, I want to come to the last one. This guy is a, I'm a fan of this guy. But he... He absolutely monumentally failed. And of course, I'm talking about Peter. Peter the disciple. Now, you know, I like Peter because I probably identify with him a little bit. He's this kind of rough cut diamond, you know. He's, he's an uneducated Galilean. Uh, John Mark and Peter, by the way, become good friends. And John Mark writes the Gospel of Mark. <laughs> it wasn't the end of his story. John Mark goes on to write the Gospel of Mark, but it's... Most scholars agree that the Gospel of Mark is written and penned by John Mark, but orated by Peter. But Peter, we know, made a a monumental mistake. Peter was a Galilean fisherman. (laughs) His second language was cussing. (laughs) These guys, it was just natural for them, you know. Uneducated, hardworking, abusive, kind of foot-in-the-mouth kind of guy. Peter... Peter kind of didn't get foot in mouth disease. He managed to get both feet in at the same time. He was just one of those kinds of guys. Very impulsive, very, very reckless kind of guy, you know. But he loved Jesus. Oh, Peter fell in love with Jesus. He made mistakes. I mean, in one part of the Gospels, we read that he is highly praised for his confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But in almost the very next breath, Jesus is rebuking him as being a tool of the enemy. Get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. And that is after Peter says that he should never face crucifixion. But Peter... Peter made a, a series of mistakes. The first one was the thinking that he was above mistakes. Let's, let's have a look at uh, the Gospel of Luke. 
Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, verse 31, uh, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. This is a really important part of Peter's story. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Isn't it interesting? Just as a digression here when it comes to circumstances and failings, Jesus didn't pray that Peter would be uh, spared the circumstances. He prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. That's interesting. Just just FYI, preach it, pastor. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. How many of us now with hindsight know that's not the case? Peter, you weren't ready to go to jail or to death with Jesus. You think you're above this. You think you've got it all. You think you're in. Turns out he's not. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. How many of us know that Peter denies Jesus just as Jesus predicted? Peter denies three times. For those of us that are helping our kids with their mass, Jesus helped us. Jesus (laughs) said that uh, Peter would deny him three times. Uh, before the rooster crow. I want to tell you something, however. One lesson we need to learn from the life of Peter. When we look at how Peter finished his race and we look at all how God powerfully used him in the book of Acts, I want to tell you that the most defining moment in Peter's life is the moment when the rooster crowed. It's the most defining moment in his life. He's been with Jesus for three years. He's seen miracles. He's, He's fallen in love with Jesus and he monumentally fails. I want to make a statement today that might surprise everybody that's listening to me this morning. The statement is this. Do you want to know that you can't let God down? People come to me and say, you know, oh, well, I've done this, this and this, and I've just let God down. Do you know you can't let God down? I'll tell you why. God doesn't have unrealistic expectations of you. Because that's what happens when we're let down. We have unrealistic expectations of what life has to offer us. And so we get let down when certain circumstances come our way or or whatever may happen. But you can't let God down. But Peter has failed. You can sin, yes. You can make mistakes, yes. There's always restoration on the table. for Jesus is talking restoration. Peter hasn't even gone there yet. I love that about Jesus. But Peter fails, friends. Peter denies Jesus, the rooster crows. The next thing we read is that Peter runs out and he weeps bitterly. He's failed. And what the Gospel of John lets us in on is, uh, it's interesting how Jesus, of course, is crucified. He, He rises from the dead according to the power of God. And we know that Jesus appears to the disciples after he's been raised from the dead. And we know this, that when you read, what I marvel at when I read John chapter 20 and 21, when Jesus meets with the disciples is, as I'm reading the gospel of John, I'm kind of waiting for Jesus to bring it up. I'm kind of waiting for Jesus to say, hey, Peter, I told you so. I wonder if, we were in the position of Jesus. I wonder how many of us would have jumped to highlight that. Do you know if you read John chapter 20 and 21, you won't read anything in there. Jesus never brings the subject up. 
Jesus never talks about Peter denying him. Jesus never talks about, I told you so. Jesus never refers back to his failings or his failures. Jesus is ready to move on. I want to tell everybody today that Jesus is ready to move on. If you have failed, if you have made a mistake, if you have slipped, if you have tripped, if you have fallen, yeah, okay, I get it. Jesus is ready to move on. Jesus is ready for restoration. Jesus is ready for the next chapter. Jesus, is, Jesus finished that chapter for Peter. And it's like Jesus has turned the page. We're in a whole new chapter now, Peter. We're in a whole new chapter of your life. And his overcoming uh, failure number four is this. It, we need to see the bigger picture. Because that's what Jesus introduces Peter to in chapter 21 of John. Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? No mention of his failings because that's not what's important right now. No mention of the rooster crowing because that's not important right now. And all too often, we make our failings the big picture. And what Jesus is doing in that conversation in John chapter 21 is he's, he's removing, Peter has made that moment when the rooster crowed in his mind, Peter's going back to fishing. He thinks it's all over. He thinks it's all gone now for him. How many people are in that boat, by the way? How many people are sitting right now listening to me thinking, God doesn't want me. It's all over. I've made too many mistakes. I want you to know Jesus is ready to move on. Jesus has moved on. He's ready to begin the new chapter and start writing the new chapter. Are you ready to move on? Are you ready to overcome it? Well, you need to reduce. You need to look at Jesus's bigger picture. What Jesus does is he introduces Peter to the bigger picture. Do you love me, Peter? Because that's what's important, Peter. You failed, Peter. Yes. You made mistakes, Peter. Yes. But do you love me, Peter? Because that is what matters. That's the bigger picture. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Okay, well, let's get moving. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Put that behind you. Learn from that, Peter. What did Jesus say to him? But when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, this moment of failure for Peter was what God would use to strengthen other people through Peter. Overcoming failure number four, look at the big picture. And we need to look at the big picture where the truth of it is, our failings and our mistakes are just a very small part of that big picture. What Jesus does for Peter is introduces him to the big picture. I wonder how many Peters are listening to me today. I wonder how many Peters are... I wonder how many people can identify with Peter right here. Jesus restores Peter by enabling him to see the bigger picture. And like Peter, we also allow our big picture to be our failings. Jesus is refocusing Peter. And I want to talk to those today who might be Peter's that are listening to me. In the Gospel of Mark, I love these two words. In the Gospel of Mark, we know that Peter denies Jesus and Peter thinks it's all over. But if you're sitting here today and you've failed and you've made a mistake and you think it's all over and God doesn't want you, 
Then listen to the words of the angel to the women that come to the tomb. They come seeking Jesus and the angel says that Jesus has gone to Galilee just as he says he would. And the angel says, go and tell his disciples and Peter to meet him there. And Peter, and Peter, and Peter. The biggest part of overcoming failure is listening to those two words. Jesus had not forgotten Peter. Jesus had not rejected Peter. Jesus still wanted Peter. Jesus has not rejected you. Jesus has not forgotten you. Jesus still wants you. Winston Churchill said that success is moving from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Wow. He also said that failure is not fatal. All that matters is courage. It's going to take courage to overcome failure. But you can overcome failure. And I want to speak to everybody out there this morning that may be in this boat because I don't want you to stay at your failures. I don't want you to be another Lance Armstrong. I don't want you to be another Richard Nixon or Bill Clinton. I want you to be another Peter who got a glimpse of the bigger picture and moved on. Let's recap. Overcoming failure is number one. Get a new definition of failure and define what it is for what success is for you. Number two, remove the you from failure and change your response to failure by taking responsibility. Number three, learn from your mistakes. Cease trying to change your circumstances and focus on changing you. Number four, focus on the big picture. Allow God to introduce you to his big picture. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for every person listening this morning. Father God, we are not, we don't have to be defined by our failures. Father, I pray for every person listening. Lord God, that we would learn from our mistakes just like John Mark did. Lord God, I pray that we would take responsibility just like David did. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to get a new definition of failure and introduce us, Lord God, to your big picture. Help us, Lord God, to transfer our failings into chapters of our life, not the end of our story. Father, I thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love us and you haven't forgotten us, Father. I thank you for restoration. I thank you for forgiveness. Lord, I pray today that you would restore everyone who has slipped and stumbled, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. God keep you. And I'll see you next week. God bless. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.